It's good to be back with you today and to be able to open the scripture. <clears throat> I'm going to sit down again just to make sure I don't run out of breath because I do have something to say today. Our text will be John chapter 1 and verse 29. If you want to be finding John chapter 1 and verse 29. John the Baptist has been baptizing in the Jordan and the next day it says he saw Jesus coming toward him. He saw the Greek word blepo, B-L-E-P-O means it registered with him. Um, Sight-wise, he saw, he observed Jesus coming. And then he said, behold, or look. Now this is a different Greek word. It's ide, I-D-E, I-D-E, ide, which is similar to seeing, but this one means to be... Uh, struck by it, uh, to comprehend it, and to suddenly realize something. Um, he saw Jesus coming and he said, behold, I'm, I'm shock, it's shock and awe time. So there's a difference here. If you, if you really want to see the difference between these two words, uh, you don't have to turn to them, but in the 20th chapter of John, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, uh, Mary Magdalene runs and tells the apostles, and Peter and John run to the tomb. And I guess uh, John's a little younger than Peter, or maybe a little uh, faster than Peter, but John gets there first. And when he gets there, John 20 verse 5 says he looked into the tomb. That's blepo. He got to the edge of the tomb, the, the stone was rolled back, and he looked in. He's observing but then it says, Peter gets there and goes in. And in John 20, verse 8, John goes in also. And it says, and he saw, ide, comprehended, and he believed. See, the disciples didn't even believe the resurrection at this point. What I want you to see is the difference between seeing something and comprehending it. Seeing it with your heart and your mind. See, this is our problem. Somebody said the Christian's problem is he can't see. 
Now, obviously, we have physical eyes and we can see, but the glitter of the world dazzles us. And we can't see the Lamb. Temporal pleasures distract us. And uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 that the God of this world, talking about Satan, blinds the minds of the unbeliever so he can't believe in Christ because he can't see the face of Christ that shines the glory of God. I mean, so they're seeing and they're seeing and, and John says he saw Jesus coming and he says, folks, comprehend, behold the Lamb. That's what I want us to do today. I want us to grasp Spiritually, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John 6.40 This is the will of Him that sent me, Jesus said, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. You have to see Him before you believe Him. So I want us to see Him today, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we'll look at it in three ways. First, I want you to see the perfection of the Lamb. Now, if there's anything that we know about the Old Testament, it is that when you brought the... It was built around the sacrificial system. And when you brought a sacrifice... The one thing about the, you could bring a goat or a lamb or an oxen, you could even bring a pigeon if you were so poor you couldn't you didn't have any of the others. But the one thing that had to be true of your sacrifice was what? It had to be without spot or blemish. Couldn't have any blemish on it. Now these this pictures Christ in his perfection. You see it in Exodus 12 when they, the Jewish Passover, the, the night before they were coming out of Egypt at the Exodus. And God told them in Exodus 12, this is the beginning of months, the first month of the year to you. In other words, this starts your calendar. This is when life begins. You are to take a lamb, it says, for each house, Exodus 12, 5, and your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. A without blemish. No spot. Nothing wrong with it. Leviticus 1.10, if your gift of the burnt offering is from the flock or the sheep or goats, you bring a male without blemish. 1 Peter 1.19 says, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. 
Nothing wrong with it. Now, was Jesus without blemish? And the Bible teaches, and I affirm today, that Jesus never sinned. He was God in the flesh. He had a perfect record. Pilate said so. John 19.6, after examining Jesus, he said, I, he went out to the Jews who were crying to crucify him and said, why? I find no fault in this man. I don't see anything wrong that he's done. Jesus turned one time to the Pharisees in John 8.46 and he said, can any of you Prove me guilty of any sin. I think the King James says, can any of you convict me of a sin? Can you prove me guilty? You know, that's not a question you want to ask a bunch of Pharisees. In fact, I wouldn't ask nobody that. Turn to your wife and say, can you really prove I've ever sinned? I imagine she'd pull out a list <laughs> no, she wouldn't do that. God Himself, when Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, sent His Spirit like a dove to, and notice this, to abide upon Him. It, it wasn't an actual dove sitting on His head. It was the Spirit, and it stayed upon Him all through His life. It says, because this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Almost all the sacrifices of the Old Testament are animals. Except for one. There's about, and you read this in Leviticus, first eight chapters, <coughs> but there's about uh, four sacrifices. They're all you bring an animal, you shed its blood, it's a substitute for you. Except for one. It's called the grain offering. It's in Leviticus 2. Listen at this. Leviticus 2 verse 1. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering... See, these, these offerings represent Christ. That's why they're without blemish. So when you bring a grain offering, it represents Christ. But what does it represent about Christ? He says, bring a grain offering to the Lord. Your offering is to be of fine flour, anointed with oil, with incense or frankincense upon it. The, the anointing with oil means that Jesus came as fine flour anointed by the Spirit, and his, the fragrance of His presence would fill the room. But what's the, what's the fine flour? You grind it up till it's like talcum powder. What is that? That means... See, I want you to see the Lamb in His perfection. That Jesus, in His personality, 
was flawless in his demeanor. He was perfect. Um, I jotted these down so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Jesus was, was zealous, but not fanatical. Jesus could be hurt emotionally. He could hurt man of sorrows, but he wasn't pouty. Amen? Hello? See, we get pouty. We say, you hurt my feelings. So that's why you're pouting. Jesus got his feelings hurt, but he didn't pout because that is a flaw. He could be fatherly, but not patronizing. You know, there, there. See, it's, it's condescending. He could be bold without being brash. He could be reflective without becoming moody. Jesus was firm without being stern. Jesus was humorous without becoming coarse or crude and silly. Jesus was compassionate without becoming sentimental. And Jesus was humble but not pitiful. See, you can move too far with a virtue. But he had this delicate balance in his personality which rendered him as a qualified, perfect sacrifice for you and me. Praise to Jesus. Praise to Jesus, somebody. He was perfect in his personality, in his life, in his sacrifice. So we look at the perfection of the Lamb. Now, second, let's look at the sacrifice of the Lamb. We read it earlier in the service, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4. The worshiper who has come to be forgiven for his sins in the Old Testament, he would bring the sacrifice, the lamb or the sheep or goat. He would bring it to the temple or tabernacle. And it says in Leviticus 1.4, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. Then he, the worshiper, shall kill the bull or the lamb before the Lord. In other words, he's the one responsible for killing it. The priest didn't kill it, he killed it. He's the one who sheds the blood, cutting the sacrifice's throat. But he first lays his hand upon the lamb or the sheep. In Leviticus 1, he shall lay his hand. He shall put his hand. 
If this table was the sheep, I would come up. The, the Hebrew word for lay doesn't mean to just, you know, barely touch, contact, but to lean on. Let me give you a place where this word, the Hebrew word samak, to lay your hand on the sacrifice or put it there. Um, in Strong's Concordance, it means to lean upon, to grasp, to hold, to lean on, to rest upon. I like this one. To rest upon. Second Chronicles 38, 32 verse 8 says, the people rested upon the words of Hezekiah. Rested is the same word to lay your hand. They rested their weight upon the Lamb. You know, see, sin is a weight. It, it's heavy. Psalm 32, David said, your hand was heavy on me. So this weight, this heaviness... You are leaning and resting and transferring that weight over to the Lamb so that the judgment of God crushes the Lamb and you go free. Let me move quickly to the third thing. The benefits of the Lamb. Jesus, behold the Lamb, which takes away the sin of the world. Taking away the sin of the world. The benefits are in this. First, our acceptance. We see in Jesus being the Lamb, we see our acceptance before the Lord. Again, in Leviticus 1, he shall lay his hand or rest his weight on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. It's accepted for him. Now, here's a question. If the lamb is accepted for me, did the worshiper have to then go and do anything? Does he add to the lamb? Does he have to, okay, now you, you have your sins forgiven through the lamb, now you need to go do 10 push-ups <laughs> or 10 Hail Marys. Are you hearing me? Do I need to do anything other than how do I get this weight? It goes on the lamb. It is accepted for him. Not it and something else. Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And I'll add this too. Uh, this is something I've been thinking of um, the last few weeks. In fact, even when I was in the hospital, um, I didn't have a Bible or any books, but I was pondering this, and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me because I, I've had uh, there's a couple of pastors 
that I love. I love these guys. One of them's an author. I've actually never met either one of them, but I love them. I love to read and listen to. One of them's on TV. I'm not going to tell you their names because I, I love them, uh, and I, I, I don't, I dis, I don't want to disrespect them. But both of them said that you need to confess your sin to a friend. You need a good friend. I'd say you need a real good friend. if You <laughs> You know, in the Catholic Church, our friends in the Catholic Church, they hold that you that in order to have forgiveness, you also, an absolution comes through the priest when you confess to the priest. So this thing of confession. Now listen at this. This comes, this is in Leviticus 16, 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. That's, that's the shifting of the weight. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. He confesses over it. In other words, he's transferring, confessing before God to it. And you will find in the Bible, confession is made to God and God alone through the Lamb. Psalm 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. To the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, I mean, if you want to share your burdens and struggles with somebody, if you've got a good friend like that, then praise God. You, I, I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, uh, if you have secret sins in your past and you want to, you feel like that that's a weight and you want your uh, best friend or maybe your wife or husband, your spouse to share the load, here's what's going to happen. If you just tell it to God, he'll forget it. Hebrews 10, 17. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Anybody happy about that? If you confess it to God, He is able to forget it. If you confess it to your wife, she may not. Nor will your best friend. I hesitated whether I was going to say this or not. But when I was in the hospital, Jesus came to me. I mean, he came into the room. I had no Bible, no books, but I had Jesus. <laughs> he came into the room. And he, this was, I think the first one was on a Sunday, and he said, now, I want... I want you to give, I want you to relax now for until Wednesday. Wednesday, things are going to change. Tuesday or Wednesday, I, I'm, I'm foggy on it. But he said, give me about three days. We're going to fix this. I'm going to walk you through this. And, you, and in three days, you'll see things change. 
Third day, they came in and said, we're moving you to a regular room. He said, then he came back. And he said, now, I want you to give me to the weekend. On the weekend, you'll see some things change. On the, on the weekend, the doctor came in and said, you're making great progress. You've got a long way to go. But we're thinking maybe in a week you can go home. In a few days, you can go home. And Jesus said, he came in on a Sunday. He, it's like he followed the doctor. And he said, now, I want you to give me till Sunday. One week. And I didn't see him for a week. And on that Sunday, the doctor said, you're going home. And here's the thing about, I mean, I've had that happen, you know, maybe a couple of other times in life. Here's the thing that I came away with. When Jesus came in, there was no guilt or fear about my sins, which I'm old enough now, I've had a few. And when he came in, it was like there was no awareness that I was a sinner. All he did was come in to encourage me and to tell me he's going to get me out of there. That's it. Can you imagine standing before Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, without any sense of sin? And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of it till. A few days later, I thought I didn't even feel guilty in his presence. But when the Lamb comes, he takes away your sin. He takes it all away. I want to quickly give you a verse, James 5, 16, because this is the only verse I know where it says, confess your sins to one another. This is the verse my pastor friends have used. And as I was laying in the hospital bed, the Holy Spirit said, notice that this is not sins. This is the King James Version, Confess, James 5, 16. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's faults. There's two Greek words for sin. One is hamartia. You, you, if, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard the, the Greek word hamartia, sin, to miss the mark, fall short. This is the Greek word paraptoma, fault. Difference between a sin and a fault. When, my, when I tell my wife I'm going to pick her up from work at 5 o'clock and I forget. And I go finally and she's waiting patiently sometimes. And I'm late. I say, my fault. That's my fault. See, I mean, I'm acknowledging that I'm culpable, but I'm not confessing my sin to be forgiven by God. So this, the word here means paraptoma. Fault, stumbling as a human being in front of another human being. That you're welcome to do. It's an apology for uh, offending 
But confession of sin for full forgiveness comes before God through the Lamb. The benefits of the Lamb are acceptance, full acceptance. Here, uh, secondly, our commitment, and I'll mention these quickly, our commitment, the overflow of the love of God to us, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ controls us. That is, that's a word used to arrest somebody and hold them like they did Jesus when he was arrested before Pilate. The love of Christ hems us in. So Because if one has died, then if Christ has died for us, we died in him that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. A third thing, we see how our fellowship comes from the Lamb. What is the basis of Christian fellowship? In Romans 14, Paul was dealing with arguments about the Sabbath, uh, whether they would eat, whether they would worship on the Sabbath or not, whether they would eat vegetables or not, or or whether you could also eat meat. There was a group of vegetarians there in the Roman church, whether they could drink wine or not. And he deals with all this in Romans 14. And and here's what he says. Romans 14, 3. Let not the one who eats eats meat despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you, Romans 14, 4, to pass judgment on another person's servant? It's before his own master he stands or falls. Verse 5, one person thinks one day is better than another. Another thinks all days are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. See, these are superficial areas. And Paul says in, in verse 8, Romans 14, 8, For if we live to the Lord or die to the Lord, so then to this end Christ died and lived that he might be the Lord of the dead and the living. In other words, Christ died. Now he's the Lord. He died for you. He bought you. He paid the price for you. I didn't pay the price for you. Christ is your Lord. So he's the one who will decide things in your life, where to live, whether to buy or rent, who to marry, where to move to, whether to go to movies, whether to drink wine, whether to get a vaccine. Hello. Oh, man, did I just step in a puddle there? Listen, I'm just saying to you that if Christ is the Lamb, this is the basis of our fellowship. I'm not going to break fellowship with you over controversial issues because Jesus is your Lord. He bought you with the price of his life. I did not. I cannot enter into your prayer life. You're not praying to me and I cannot enter your conscience. That's a holy of holies. I leave it between you and God and you should leave such things with others. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Romans 14, he says... um, 
in verse 14 on these issues, he says, the faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. You don't even have to talk about it. Keep it between yourself and God. And happy is the one who does not pass judgment or condemn himself for what he has approved. So the Lamb of God, as you see the Lamb of God, you see this is the basis of fellowship. People have differences on the gifts of the Spirit, differences on baptism. You know what? My arms are welcome to them all if they are believers in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, they won't do it for me necessarily. I'll tell you right now. Wait a minute, you're a Baptist? You baptize by... Yeah. But churches fuss about the weirdest things. Did you know there was a church split years ago when I, when I first started preaching over ties, whether you are a tie or not? I'm, I'm the only one here with a tie. So I'm the only righteous one in the bunch. One of our churches the other day told me that they, they're, uh, they have a little fuss going on in their church because their pastor wears jeans when he preaches. I'm like, I should wear jeans. I should be cool. I can be cool. I can be eye candy. You know what? I'm going to be who I am. They can be who they are. Uh, Oh, and they replaced the pulpit in this church with a smaller pulpit, a little table like I've got here. And it's, the church is all uproar, in uproar about it. And Paul says, he's the Lord. The basis of our fellowship is in the blood of Christ. One final thing, and that is our, our faithful service, seeing faithful service. Here's the thing that I, I, I just want to give you this and I'm done. When you come to church, do y'all ever come with apathy? You're like, no, <laughs> never. Do you ever, when I, sometimes when I come to preach, I don't always feel like I've, uh, I've prayed enough, done enough, researched enough, that I've worked enough to be worthy of this because this is a this is an incredible privilege to preach the gospel and so I come or if you come you feel like your spiritual life is not what it should be can you still worship can I still come to God listen at this verse this has blessed me so much 1 Peter 2.5 We offer our spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. You may not, you may be compromised 
You may be struggling this morning. Should I be in the band? Should I teach the children? Should I do anything? Listen, you do it. Satan wants you to quit. The Holy Spirit is saying to all of you, your, sacri- your worship, your service is acceptable to God because it comes through Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. It's the basis of our service. This issue is incredible in its importance and vitality to the living church of Jesus Christ. This is the core theme from Genesis to Revelation. The last vision of John in Revelation 5 is they turn and there's the Lamb in the midst and the entire creation falls down and worship Him. This is the Lamb. I want to ask a question this morning. And I've I put this out. I've given this message. This really is the best I've got. It's been prayed over, given to God, and I know it's I've stumbled and faltered through some parts of it. It's the best I've got. I think it's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here's a question I felt like God wants me to ask. Have you seen the lamb that takes away the sin of the world? Have you seen him? Not blepo, he saw him physically with his eyes, but ide. Behold, comprehend with astonishment. Have you seen the lamb like that? Have you put your faith, have you leaned all of your weight over onto the lamb? Or are you still looking for something else to carry some of the load? The lamb plus something else. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Just every head bowed and every eye closed, please. And I want to ask this question. Would you be willing, if you've never done this, to believe on, you notice those words in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what he said. On him. Will you put all your weight for eternal life and acceptance before God on the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. If you've never done it before, and you're willing to do it this morning, would you raise your right hand? Never done it before, willing to do it this morning. Hold it up and keep it up. All right, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that all of us, our faith in the Lamb of God will be renewed. And I pray for all of us that there would be a spiritual revival, a renewal of love 
to God with fire. May fire come into our hearts and souls. May eternal things cling to us and grab us. Solemn things and sober things. Open our eyes, God. Shut out the glitter of the world and the blindness that Satan would bring and help us to see and behold the Lamb of God. Help us today. If you have prayed that, if this is the first time you've ever done that, then you need to be baptized. And we have already set a date. We've, in fact, we had a, another one this morning at the early service who asked for baptism, put their faith in Christ and asked for baptism. So I'm asking you, after the service today, come up to me, you come to me, and let's talk about baptism. Let's set a date. If you put your faith in Christ, this is the first time. All right. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, bless your people with peace. And I praise you with words inexpressible for the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Would you come as we receive our morning offering? <clears throat> after we after we have this final song, we've got some uh, young people that are moving up uh, into the next grade, and so we've got Bibles for them. So we'll have to have them to be ready to come. All right, let's pray for the offering. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time of giving. We give to the Lamb because He is worthy of our gifts. We have no reservations about it. So bless this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.
washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your
Where's Patty? Where's, where's Patty? There she is. Come on up here, Patty. We got to celebrate. should go. It's been such an awesome day, awesome service. Can't wait to do it again next week. Y'all are dismissed. Have a blessed week.